Hello, Fight fans, and welcome to the Hollywood Brunettes Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Matt, the store brand Keanu. Alongside me is my tag team partner, the Danimal. How's it going, Matty? All right, so the very basic nature of professional wrestling is founded upon rivalries and feuds. Am I right? You are right. So naturally, you know, there's some of the famous iconic ones that have kind of made the companies what they are today. Uh, you know, a classic example would have been Hulk Hogan body slamming Andre the Giant, like the two biggest humans on earth seemingly at the time and WrestleMania, biggest stage. And, you know, ever since we've seen all sorts of different forms of rivalries and feuds, and particularly in the eras that you and I, Danimal, experience kind of in our youth which would have been kind of the heart the meat and the heart of the attitude era so i think it would be really fun to just kind of go back and forth and share some of our thoughts on the concepts of rivalries and feuds and highlight some of our our favorite ones from memory so i'm gonna allow you to start because there are a few of them but i'm curious if we have the same ones in mind so i'm going to give you the opportunity to go first here Okay. Um, oh, there's there's two of my ridiculous ones. I think I think this one is more likely to get chosen by you, so I'll take it first. Um, and this was the the pinnacle of taking a couple of mid card guys and just seeing how batshit crazy of a storyline you could put them in. And that would be none other than the Big Boss Man and Al Snow, because right. I remember. When this storyline started surrounding Al Snow, the big boss man, and Al Snow's dog, Pepper. And big boss man somehow kidnaps Pepper. And God knows why big boss man had anything against him. And then he proceeds to feed Pepper to Al Snow, which in my youth, I just remember being a little unsettled by. Like, it was a pretty dark turn that, like, he brings him into the room and he was like, okay, no, I'll have him in just a minute. Here, have something to eat. And of course, you know, there's the classic, <laughs> like, if you're picking up your kidnapped dog and someone offers you like a snack, why in God's name is it like, okay, yeah, I'll just have some random food here. And then of course, boss man reveals that he has, you know, slaughtered this small dog and ground it into meat and fed it to Al. And I think the other thing about it is that it culminated in one of the least successful gimmicks of all time, the kennel from hell match. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I forgot all about this one. Thank you so much for reminding me. (laughs) Oh, allow me to remind the listeners because to really make sure that, you know, this was a true grudge match befitting of feeding a man, his own dog. Um, shouldn't be funny every time i say it it just is um it was the kennel from hell so it was hell in a cell but on top of it there was a steel cage with the kennel or with a steel cage just the standard four walls and then hell in a cell on top of it now what makes this a kennel from hell you may be asking they had rabid rottweilers that were let loose in the void between the ring and the uh hell in a cell but of course because you can't actually especially at a live event like this you can't have anything even resembling 
an aggressive dog. So they basically let these dogs in who just proceed to legitimately piss and shit and hump each other throughout the match as like King's kind of trying not to say anything. And it's just like, they keep kind of doing the classic, like, oh God, look how fierce it is. And you just see this like, cause that's the thing about Rottweilers too, is that they, if they're barking, they look scary. But like all those blocky headed dogs, when they're smiling, they look so adorable. So they're just like, look at it. And it's just like smiling with the tail wagging a million miles an hour. So that one, that that I had to go with just because I felt like it was, and I'll, I'll say that at least it was a compelling, albeit batshit crazy storyline between two mid card guys. Like instead of just watching like boss man team up with, you know, the Canadian Haas and being the Haas and boss connection and, you know, running through the tag team. No, they gave these two guys weeks and weeks of storyline that legitimately compelled, disgusted, like it, it really ran the gambit. So that, that's one that always comes to mind when there's, there are those moments when like you're talking about wrestling with someone and they're, you know, not fans and you're doing the whole like, oh no, but you should see like Roman Reigns was a D lineman and Sasha Banks can do this, did I? And then there are the people that it's like, you're having fun with. It's like, that's one of, for me, the all time, like, well, do you remember when's? Because yeah, just two mid carters in a gimmick match that went so poorly. It, it's just never been even attempted again. So as I get older, one of the, one of the best things about looking back on eras such as the attitude era of wrestling is realizing the progress that we've made as a society since and when you think about this match it's like you have al snow whose whole characteristic was the fact that he was had mental health issues and carried around a mannequin head they spoke to you and have led to the joke that I, I didn't get when I was a kid with what what does everybody want? What does everybody need? And the answer being head. So that's that I'm sure got some good high school detention over the, the years for some kids. Right. So you have that that character who clearly wouldn't couldn't exist today. You have the big boss man who's a police officer is <laughs> his gimmick a bully of a police officer so we won't even touch that one we'll save that for a much much more progressive much better podcast than ours you have the fact that there's the speaking of and alluding to consuming a person's pet and you have a match centered around fighting dogs that are supposed to tear you limb from limb if you fall over the edge of the ring. So none of this could possibly happen today. And it makes me so, so happy to look back on and be like, wow, we really have evolved in a short period of time. So, Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, someday when I'm showing my kids wrestling matches that Lindsay doesn't want them to know, it's going to be like, wait till I show you the video package on this one. I'm glad too you let off with a big boss man because he actually had a, a pretty solid era of bullying back then. And my uh, top one I was going to bring up was actually his feud with the big show. <laughs> I really thought about that one too. Yeah, which was remarkable because I believe the reason they were feuding, it doesn't even matter. But all it was was that for some reason, Big Boss Man just had it out for the big show and he was tormenting left and right. Like we're talking backstage. It was just like always somehow Big Show was like being attacked or Boss Man would pop out and 
throw something at him. But it culminated in Big Show attending his father's funeral, which, mind you, his father had just recently passed in real life. And the big boss man shows up to this video segment, attaches the casket that Big Show was standing over of his departed father, supposedly, to his police cruiser and proceeds to drive, drag it throughout the cemetery. At one point, the Big Show chases him down, leaps, and catches onto the casket and is being drugged throughout the cemetery, supposedly on top of his dead father's casket. It was the most just insane, least respectful treatment of a human being on wrestling I've seen in a very long time, which is actually maybe exaggeration because I'm sure there's going to be others on those lists that are even worse, but it was really, really bad. It was one that I remember watching it with my father who actually was in the Vietnam War. And I remember him seeing that and being like, whoa, that's fucked up. So... <laughs> I think I think on that one, one of my favorite moments was uh, Bossman dropping a line that was like, your daddy always wanted to be a drag queen, which is just so bad. <laughs> Once again, on so many levels, it's like we don't even need to get into the like der derogatory drag queen, but just the like the pun, just like uh, I'm going to drag him behind my car. So he's a drag queen. <laughs> And mind you, like in real life, the Big Show's father had truly just departed. So it's like just the the nature of Vince McMahon at that time would just be like, oh, yeah, this is good. Run with it. This is going to be I, real. I love the thought of you getting sat down in the office with Vince and him being really excited. Got the big looks. Like, got a big storyline for you. Going to get you a lot of time on the air. Big blow off it. You know, such and such pay-per-view. And you're just sitting there like, fuck, yeah, like this is my shot. And it's like. You're getting tormented by boss man. It's like, sweet, I'm going to knock him out. And he's like, he shows up at your dad's funeral, insults your mother and drags the coffin behind the car. And you're just sitting there kind of like, I can't commit career suicide. Like dad would want me to seize the opportunity. And then, yeah, having to, you know, hey, mom, oh, work's good. Um, what are you doing on Thursday? Oh, remarkable. So good. What you got for your next one there, Danimal? All right, so my next one, I'll, I'll take I'll take a turn to a case where I actually appreciated the storyline, and it was very much the the art imitating life, and it was probably the most compelled I've ever been watching a wrestling match, and that was the ongoing battle between Daniel Bryan and the Authority, because it was just rips i mean i think that was the first case of kind of triple h and stephanie taking the internet and turning it on people and even though we knew that they were baiting us the whole thing that you know brian beats john cena wins the title and then triple h turns on him so that randy orton can beat him in the ultimate like daniel bryan you know one of the great wrestlers but then you look at him and then you look at you know at my ongoing man love for randy orton can continue you know the guy that just looks like he should be the face of your professional wrestling. Um, so they do that turn. And then you got Stephanie McMahon with, you know, well, you're just a B plus player. And, you know, the crowd's just getting incense. No, he's not. And lo and behold, you know, God, Occupy Raw versus Occupy Wall Street. And then, yeah, the two matches at WrestleMania culminating in a match with Triple H, an all time, you know, favorite of mine. And then, the triple threat between Batista Orton and Daniel Bryan in the WrestleMania main event. 
it was just actually so well executed. And, you know, they had me hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I was a grown man in my bedroom, like pounding on the couch, waiting for Batista to tap out and like jumping in the air. And it's like, of course I knew it was going to happen. Of course I knew he wasn't going to lose the match to Triple H, but they had me. They just, they knew the beats. They knew that the fans were, oh, well, he's the really good wrestler, you know, Cena and Orton and Batista aren't nearly as good, but they got us. They just had us. And it was so compelling because yeah, the way, the way Stephanie could spit out B plus player, like it's such an, it's such a great insult too, because if you called me a B plus student, it would just be a compliment I didn't deserve. And yet Brian is the (laughs) B plus player was just such a great insult. I'm glad you brought up Daniel Bryan. I'm glad we have some sort of connection here with some of these talents. Um, This feud really is centered on a match before he became Daniel Bryan. So this is back in his Bryan Danielson era. And forgive me in advance, but I'll probably botch some of the details because I'm going to tell you right now, the only reason I know about this was from watching Botchamania on YouTube which if you haven't had a chance to check that out, it's one of the best wrestling shows available. So anyway, I believe the event was called PWG. It was a California wrestling. Uh, This is back in the Young Bucks early era where they had just kind of departed, you know, their hometown area where this was taking place. They kind of done a tour and they were coming back and during this big tournament that was going to be held, they were about to win the tag team titles. It had been predetermined. So, like again, this this back in the day. So, like at one point, I believe the the day be prior to the main event, he they wrestled against Kenny Omega and another tag partner in the name of Eddie's May at the moment. And over the course of this match, the Young Bucks were realizing that despite the fact that it was their home crowd, they weren't getting over. Every time they executed a maneuver, they were getting booed. And just people were really hostile towards them because apparently they were upset because they were going from being the indie darlings of the California circuits to actually like gain some international acclaim and poised to go on to bigger and better things. So this whole magic with Kenny Omega and, and his, his partner, the name evades me at the moment, they're taking this into account. So the next day they're scheduled to win the titles. And they're scheduled to wrestle Brian Danielson, who was Daniel Bryan in the indie cards, where he was, this was at his peak of being the top indie wrestler in the world at the time. And a gentleman by the name of Roderick Strong. So backstage, because they were, as they were planning the match, the Young Bucks kind of had relayed to these guys saying like, listen, like we're not getting over. Like, I don't think these fans are going to be too excited to see us win tonight even though like it was predetermined that they were going to win the titles because you get the hometown pop. So Brian Danielson's and Roderick Strong's plan of action was that, well, we'll find a way to put you over by really taking it to the next level. So they proceeded to kick the living shit out of the young bus, the entire match. Like we're talking hardcore Holly, just like, beat them up slap them like no stiff as a board so the entire match is just the young bucks getting the living shit kicked out of them 
and the whole time the crowd was going wild it never went over they were so the crowd was so ecstatic to see them getting pummeled to the point where when they finally won the titles like everyone booed everyone was pissed essentially it was like wrestling in philly only it was in california and so like again i'm botching it in the sense that like the words in the botchamania sketch are actually like from their actual book on the topic it actually is interspersed with clips from the actual match but there's something absolutely hilarious about the best laid intentions of saying like oh no we'll put you over by really making it clear that you're struggling here and the fan the hometown fans will get your back realizing you're the underdog to just realizing no we're just getting the shit kicked out of us and they're loving every second of it yeah, I can't wait to look into this a little more because I do I do love the fact of just like, no, trust me, like we can we can rough you guys up. And I'm sure the Bucks were like, all right, you know, let's do this. And then just like getting cheered while you're just getting beat by your own fans. Well, and it's like the top indie re- wrestler in the world at the moment. So of course you look up to him and you believe that he knows what he's doing. But then it turns out, no, he's just literally elbowing you in the face for no apparent reason. So... Oh man, that's great. All right, what you got for another uh, less less obscure, more uh, grounded rivalry forest animal? Okay, so this, I guess it's it's a couple. I'll, I'll pair two because I think it was just hilarious. So I kind of was thinking about the in ring dynamic and. I had to think about the Hardy brothers, Edge and Christian, and then the Dudley brothers, because it was a feud that really, because, you know, down the road, and, you know, this is a, another conversation, there was the whole Lita thing thrown into the mix, which I, I guess we'll have to talk about because it was fucking weird. But basically, the, those three tag teams were just in a point where it was like, there was so much crazy shit going on that these guys were just like, how can we how can we get a crowd interested with all these great singles feuds and, you know, the big belts going on and you got rock and stone cold and what the hell are we going to do? So then it was like, Oh, I know. Let's just go absolutely insane. You know? And I thought it was a genius idea because you've got, you know, the ladder matches that uh, the Hardy bros and edge and Christian had. Then it was like, well, Bub and Devon love to get the tables. So Let's just do that. And I mean, you want to talk about changing the game. Those guys, their TLC matches became, I mean, there's a whole pay-per-view now, which has kind of become a disaster because there's never been a good chairs match ever. But I I still feel like that was a feud that it was just like, anytime those guys were going to have a blow off, you knew that's what you were going to get. And it was just like, they kept trying to top themselves. So it's like, okay, you know, I think about like a poker game, like, okay, you know, I raise you Jeff off the 20 foot ladder. It's like, okay, I'll raise you Bubba Ray power bombing someone through three tables. And it's like, okay, Jeff off a taller ladder through two tables. And I think in doing that, they just brought kind of a, a level of kind of that crazy. It was an extreme and hardcore, but a more like TV friendly version Cause I think that's where you kind of got into a little bit of it being a spot fest, but we didn't really know it was a spot fest yet, but it wasn't just like the ECW, like, Ooh, this is a little hard to watch. It was more just like, Holy shit. This is some of the craziest stuff I've seen in a ring. 
I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, I think the combination of the natural rivalry of the Hardys and Edge and Christian, both being kind of smaller WWE stars, um, and the fact that the Dudleys came in and showcased truly how larger wrestlers could put on a good match with smaller athletes, particularly high flyers. You're right. It's since devolved into spot fest typically, but um, at the time, like they really did a lot to help put those, those young talents over. And they, I mean, you want to talk about like, they honestly set back things. They, they set the standards so high. I almost feel like they hindered the careers of certain wrestlers since like Shelton Benjamin's a name that comes to mind of a guy that I've seen take some amazing bumps and put on some amazing performances and ladder matches, but he never gets any credit because the standard is Jeff oh, Hardy. Jeff, Jeff did that from 10 feet higher. Exactly. And it, it's so, I feel like we're finally now in an era where people are like, can kind of compartmentalize that and say, okay, that was like lightning in a bottle. Like this wasn't setting a standard for what we expect every athlete to do since, but um, definitely. Um, yeah. That, that was were some of the most iconic of uh, the attitude era for certain. And the Lita thing, which uh, we got to get into as well. Because, I mean, again, another true-to-life example where uh, I believe it was Matt who was originally dating her. Yeah. And then, yeah. Hey, uh, r- real quick, there's one thing that I, I realized we haven't gotten to, and I, I don't know if they'll ever come up again. We talked about shitty moves that didn't make a lot of sense. Can we mention that the Dudley boys would have – Devon pull a guy's legs back and Bubba Ray do a headbutt into their crotch slash asshole while doing the Budweiser Waza tongue like wag and how much the crowds ate that up because I don't know how I missed that one but everything about it's just like you want to talk about something I don't want to have to explain to anyone about wrestling it's like so what are they doing here it's like he's headbutting a man's nether regions while enjoying a late 90s advertising fad and i believe it was like two years after the fad had <laughs> since ended so it was even more just obscure and weird yeah i forgot all about that i actually thought you were going to bring up the one where uh bubba ray would get behind them and put them in the full nelson and then do the sit down spine buster where really all it looked like he was just bouncing him off their his lap. <laughs> like it looked like it had no impact at all on them, but supposedly it was breaking their back. But yeah, that, that, wow. You just took me down a path of really, no wonder I was such a weird kid in middle school. <laughs> yeah. I got caught. None of us tried that one in the playground either, but okay. So no, we got to get back to edge Alita because that, I mean, it really nailed it. It meant so much for edges ascension. Because like that, that whole like rated R superstar, it really did tie into this concept that he, yeah, you know, the Mr. Steal Your Girl, but poor Matt has the, I guess once again, we've got Vince, you know, sitting you down, huge angle, tons of TV time. (laughs) So your girlfriend cheated on you with that long haired guy, right? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to milk that for a couple months. I'm really glad that they have since, I, I believe Lita was recently put in the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, and, he was. And I really, really am glad that they did that because I feel like, unfortunately, that, that the, the backlash of that whole incident, despite it really doing number to put over both Matt Hardy, who was kind of the subpar Hardy boy, 
100%. And, and edge into his own solo career. Um, she really kind of her progress, despite being probably the most talented women's wrestler at the time, um, it really just kind of derailed everything. So I'm glad that they really did acknowledge that it's like, no, she, she was light years ahead of her time. And had that whole thing not gone down, she potentially could have really gotten, you know, helped progress that whole division out of, you know, the horrible state it was in during this era. So, which we will get into in further segments here. Yeah, no, I mean, her and Trish were the first women that ever main evented a Raw. And I mean, the fact that, you know, she was doing the moonsault was pretty wild at the time. Like you didn't, you didn't see a lot of, a lot of women trying the high flying stuff. So no, I, I completely agree that I'm glad that they've kind of taken control of the narrative to get away from the fact that yes, you know, she was involved in this torn storyline, but unlike a lot of the women who, you know, unfortunately that torn storyline was the pinnacle of their screen time she did have some phenomenal in-ring stuff and that, yeah, when you talk about, you know, these, these advancements in women's wrestling, Trish and Lita were certainly at the forefront. Yeah. And real quick on that, I was going to say that this was like a real moonsault too. Like she got some serious legitimate height on it. It wasn't the Keith Lee, like barely fall backwards and land on your, your knees. Like it was like, she got high up and, you know, and it was perfect every time. So um yeah um you know what let's run with that because again i need i feel like it's important to bring up how shitty the state of women's wrestling was back in the attitude era like you have to understand that like so many huge fierce rivalries were resolved by something called a brawn panties match which use your imagination like i'm not even gonna go into it because it's really not warranted thing going down that road like that's what women's wrestling was thought of at the time and then of course you throw in may young you know just for a laugh and the fabulous moolah but there was one rivalry during that that needs to be told the tale needs to be told and that's tori wilson versus don marie now tori wilson was kind of in the same line as like the trish Stratus, like the fitness model who you know, was transitioning to wrestler actually probably could have been a really good in-ring talent. But again, like I said, so many of the main events for women's titles at the time were nightgown match, brawn panties match, you know, just really sad, you know, again, that it reminds you of how far we've progressed (laughs) as a people in America to look back on this and be like, wow, I'm so glad we've gotten out of that ditch. So the Tori Wilson, Don Marie feud, it starts out where Don Marie starts seducing Al Wilson, Tori Wilson's real life father. <laughs> so it, it, he's a real life father. So you always know whenever there's a parent involved who's not a professional wrestler and not an actor, how awful their performances are. So oh, yeah. Mrs. Dad has confirmed that one first quite a few times. Exactly. So Many, many appearances on Raw with embarrassment of just constantly Don Marie over-sexualizing herself in front of Al Will or in front of Tori Wilson with her real-life father culminates with eventually Tori going to confront Don Marie in a hotel room. And then it's revealed 
that Don Marie is actually blackmailing Tori because she secretly really wants her instead. Oh, no. So the classic Vince McMahon of the Attitude Era has the sequence where they all of a sudden need to, like, start making out and then, you know, dot, 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 fade to black, right? So that whole thing's gone down. But then Don Marie refuses to let go of Al Wilson. So then they, of course, have to get married. So they get married. Then the storyline progresses to they ended up having so much uh, post-marriage sex that Al Wilson ends up dying of a heart attack. (laughs) So then, of course, you have the confrontation at the open casket funeral between the two women wearing basically nothing because it's the Attitude Era, of course. So, and the sad part is, again, there's another entry on this list. This wasn't even the most egregious funeral sequence of the era. We will get into another one eventually, but just imagine a terrible wrestler's father who's not an actor, not a wrestler, pretending to be dead while two women proceed to pretend to fight in the middle of a funeral home. So the other part of that that I feel like is so profoundly uncomfortable is that you're pretending to be dead laying there as your daughter is being like sexualized and like stripped. So it's already uncomfortable enough that it's the classic, like dad asked to, you know, see you in your bikini and, you know, shape magazine. But now it's just like some woman and you like clawing at each other and, you know, got in the classic attitude era. Yeah. You know, Oh no, my shirt popped off. Like, Oh, good thing. We're both wearing skirts to this funeral. Like, and then, yeah, this poor bastard just has to lay there and, you know, can you cover her up, please? So, oh, yeah, man. so that's a that, great one. It was so sad. And like I said, when I look back on it, it's like, I am so happy that we have progressed beyond that and actually have a, a division where I'm like legitimately like looking at it. It's like, there's some real talent here. And it's not because there's some bullshit calendar coming out or they don't have to have like cheerleaders like this is a hundred percent like pure talent of people who really have put in the time and home their craft so that's great okay so i'm going with another bit of a, a hidden gem that oh I, at least i think it's a hidden gem that i always loved this one because it, it's, it touches on a lot of different things that are important in wrestling so it has possibly the greatest of all time the rock and it stemmed from a guy who we talked about that was very talented, Billy Gunn. Because after Billy Gunn won the King of the Ring, The Rock came out and just blasted him about how he may be the King of the Ring, but he still sucked. And that was when they really made the push to have badass Billy Gunn become Mr. Ass, who was also obsessed with his own ass and how great it was. So that led to a very strange kind of like ass off going between the two of them with like Billy showing what was supposedly footage of The Rock, what was clearly someone who was like, you know, severely overweight. Billy getting an ass massage with oil, but The Rock swapping out poison ivy oil. So he got a rash on his ass. And then in one of the images of wrestling that I will never be able to forget Billy Gunn attacks The Rock, which, and then The Rock is completely incapacitated, which leads to one of my favorite things, which is the idea that any attack has a varied degree of severity, that in a a last man standing match, you can be, you know, hit by a truck and you get up by an eight count. 
But in this case, The Rock got beaten with a kendo stick for like 30 seconds and is completely unconscious. So Billy proceeds to give a promo just holding The Rock by his head with his face just shoved into his ass, which is just like, I feel like The Rock is secretly like just trying to make enough money to expunge this image from the internet. But it culminates in the, the first ever kiss my ass match. At which point, you know, and I, I love the Howard Finkley, you know, and this match will be over when the winner shoves the other man's face into his ass. But then Billy proceeds to bring out this, and this is where we get back into God bless the attitude era, this bigger gal and announces that he's going to shove the rock's face there instead to win the match. And finally, The Rock turns the table, gets Billy Gunn into this woman's ass, and JR screams, The Rock just shoved Billy Gunn's face into, into that large woman's ass. And it was just, you've got the, the biggest star in the world right now, and this is what he was reduced to, a feud entirely based on Billy Gunn's ass. So once again, doing, doing something special with the mid-card. I'm so happy that you went that route. Like it would be so easy to go into like, you know, the rock versus stone cold rivalry, which is will forever be a hall of fame, you know, matchup. It really is too, you know, of the greatest of all time going heads up, but let's face it. Everybody's covered that. It's making sure that we preserve the memory of all the other bullshit that came along with it, (laughs) particularly a match like that, which is just so, so bad for so many reasons. And yet I'm so happy you reminded me of it because I had almost forgotten. I mean, it also, you you do have to, because I was reading an article on it to make sure I had everything right. And I did love the fact that one of the rocks, big taglines, which is like that we don't talk about this anymore. They put it as like, and Rock then threatened to sodomize someone with something else because he the, the big line of taking something and shoving it straight up someone's candy ass was an all-timer. It's amazing that no one's tried to like take a Rock quote out of context, but I guess maybe it's just that, you know, you can't take an actor who's in a movie and say that he said something wrong. So good for him. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was an all-timer. Like I sent you the video of when Vince McMahon had to kiss Rikishi's ass and JR did the, you know, would you look at the size of that ass? And this is like a close second for me. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I had one that I didn't follow it as close because it was rather short-lived, but I think it wor- is worth bringing up just because it is comical and it speaks to the era. But in WCW, during this whole attitude era we're, we're talking about with WWE, WCW's counters that was the NWO, just a giant, you know, probably the best, um, you know, franchise or contingent, I should say, of wrestlers, you know, gathered together and, and for a long time. That, that's all they needed. Yeah, the iconic music, they come out, they showboat. It was always a good time. At one point, half the roster wasn't part of the NWO. Dusty Rhodes and NWO gear will never stop being funny. <laughs> yeah. So as a stable, like they certainly milk that for all it's worth. The underlying part that gets nixed, I think, a lot was when they had run out of ideas clearly and didn't know what to do otherwise when they had already done NWO and the NWO Wolfpack, which was just the red NWO. They decided to try something else. 
And that was introduced the LWO. <laughs> yes. And all the LWO consisted of is they took all of their luchadors and made them into their own wrestling stable. And their whole storyline was them trying to recruit Rey Mysterio Jr. And all it was was horribly crafted behind the scenes state storylines of them sitting around drinking tequila backstage with Rey Mysterio wearing an LWO shirt and looking miserable the entire time. It was the most stereotypical trash thing I had ever seen. And yet they tried to make this into a true literal thing for the longest time. And I'm so glad it didn't truly take off, but I damn well think it was funny to remember the fact that like they had literally just run out of so many ideas that they're like, let's just make everybody their own member of a WO contingent. Oh man, that, that's great too. And that was also, I feel like the great shameless merch grab where it was like, hey, we got a lot of, you know, our luchadors who've drawn a lot of, you know, Latino audience. I bet they'd buy a Latino World Order shirt. Oh, 100%. 100%. That's why it was so funny. It was like, this is just shameless. <laughs> Which when you're talking about professional wrestling during the Attitude Era is just like comical as all get out to say, but that's the truth okay well now that that reminds me of an all-time great and i think a lot of people consider ray mysterio versus uh, eddie guerrero at halloween havoc i believe to be one of the great matches of all time now what is not considered one of the great matches of all time was the ray mysterio eddie guerrero custody papers ladder match <laughs> when now WWE Tag Team Champion Dominic Mysterio was coming to the ring with his his real life father Ray, and Eddie claimed that he in fact was the true and real Maury style. He was the father, and that he was going to take Dominic back as his rightful son, which culminated in them putting the papers. So basically, one step below, like we couldn't hang a child from the ring and safely take him down on a ladder. So we'll do the next best thing. And that was that was an all-time kind of like just someone had to be like channel surfing and just like, man, like that's cool. Oh hey, Ray, hey Dominic, what's up? And then just kind of like the the Lisa needs braces dental plan in the Simpsons, like you are the father. Hey Ray and Dominic. Put them together. What do you get? So that was a great one for me because you did take two all-time performers and put them together, which is always going to be a good idea. But like, let's make sure we've got a gimmick to make people really care about this. Oh, man, that's amazing. You know, there's one that needs to be mentioned, and I don't know how much detail I really want to go into on it but we're going to throw it out there anyway. There's a name so infamous from the era that I, I, all of the answers can be found with a simple Google search, and that name is Katie Vick. And I don't know if you're familiar with this name at all, Danimal. I'm not. So let me just preface this by saying that like Triple H is an amazing executive. He's a Hall of Fame talent. He's a very, very important figure in WWE history. However, at a short period of time during the heyday of DX, Triple H had a rivalry with Kane. 
in which it was revealed that at one point in his lifetime, Kane had driven drunk and his high school sweetheart, Katie Vick, had perished. I think it was college, but it doesn't matter. She had perished when he got into a car accident. This then led to Triple H proceeding to taunt Kane over his departed girlfriend from his past right down to carrying around a mannequin dressed up and him calling her oh katie oh katie and kissing this mannequin and doing all sorts of awful things with it to try to get a rise out of the big red machine it was so gross so sad and just again it was one thing to have the don marie tori wilson fight in the funeral home but this this was just like, what are you trying to accomplish here? Like, you're supposed, like, I'm pretty sure he was supposed to be the baby face at the time, too, somehow. But I mean, I think, I think we can roll that directly into one of the great revisited storylines of Triple H being the baby face and destroying Stephanie's wedding to test by revealing a video of him marrying an unconscious Stephanie McMahon in a Vegas drive-thru and then claiming to have consummated said marriage to which the crowd went nuts over him botching or destroying Stephanie's wedding and it's an all-timer for me too because like I listened to an interview with Stephanie not that long ago and she tells the story and I think it's one of those things where now you just have to acknowledge like this shit was out of control we know that it would never apply and it's not appropriate, but that was an all timer for me. Cause once again, it's the baby face just being, you know, kind of like <laughs> date rape and the crowd goes wild. So that's, that's another one for me. So yeah, Triple H, I feel like was kind of a, some, I, I guess that was part of the DX thing was that he was so irreverent and so, you know, outside the norm that he was able to pull this stuff off because yeah those are those are both two just abhorrent storylines that then somehow one is forgotten and one turns into a real life successful marriage with three daughters and global domination coming i'm so glad to you you mentioned the crowd pop too because that was the same with the tory and don angle too where it's like this moment where it's like she Don Marie's blackmailing Tori in in this hotel and it's supposed to be this like horrific moment but then the crowd full of idiots is just like screaming at the top of their lungs like it's the greatest thing ever and it's like again it's like such a mark of being like I'm so happy that society progresses and that we don't just stay here in time but oh yeah uh wow <laughs> well i think to bring it full circle let's 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 bring it modern because we've we've gone the wwe has told some ridiculous storylines some good storylines and while we didn't get into it there was obviously you know stone cold and vince which went about three years longer than it should have so let's talk about aew because i do feel like they've been their long-term storytelling, I think, has really kept us interested because they don't feel the need to go, hey, there's a pay-per-view. We need to culminate this, put a bow on it, and let you move on to the next one. So what's what's been standing out on, on those feuds and those storylines for you? I mean, I obviously, being a Moxley fan, 
Um, I've actually enjoyed the pairing with him and Eddie Kingston just because they both just look like they put in zero time in the gym and they just show up and talk shit, which seems like the perfect foil to the current Young Bucks, which I love the heel Young Bucks. Like, I, they're so good. They're, they're so, so good. Every week they never cease to amaze me with how over the top they are. And then you combine that with just two guys who – I mean, Moxley, I swear, wrestles in sweatpants half the time. So, and Eddie Kingston, yeah, just like the Ted DiBiase prototype 80s wrestler bod is strong with that one. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I, I offline hit you up that Eddie Kingston just looks like that guy that your buddy always brings out. And you know, it's going to end up at like 145 with him taking his shirt off and wearing the wife feeder outside the bar. And it's just like, <laughs> you know dan dan get outside like you know eddie's eddie said someone was disrespecting him and then you kind of go outside and it's just like no there's no one here and the bouncer's like oh yeah your buddy was popping off but the other guys just left and it's like okay well can we go back in no it's about last call man just uh just go ahead and call it a night it's like god damn why do you bring him every time <laughs> and that's that's 100 percent where i i get with eddie because yeah on on dynamite i watched like a little bit of something he was just like talking to these guys and he was super intense and it was just the like man we're just trying to like have a couple beers and you know try to talk to a girl unsuccessfully like i don't care if that guy was giving you toot in the bathroom but <laughs> Yeah, so I mean that one definitely is comes to mind first for me. How about yourself? Well, I, I think the one other thing on that that I'm excited for is that because uh, John Moxley and Renee Paquette are expecting their first child, they did the classic Young Bucks injure him indefinitely, which is once again fun because it means that we're still not done, which means that we're going to give Moxley that really long hiatus, and there's going to be one hell of a Moxley pop. So I'm. I'm super excited for that. Um, and then I, I got to say the one that I, I guess it's, I don't know if I would call it just like a sustained but logical push is I've been really intrigued. I guess it'll, it'll turn eventually, but I've been really intrigued by what they've done once again with uh, Brian Cage, because like if this was WWE, he would have turned on team Taz or team Taz would have turned on him months ago but they keep they keep just dragging me along where it's like taz is talking and he'll kind of say something and cage kind of gives him the side eye a little bit and i'm so programmed to just assume that that's the like you know that's the moment where it's like okay everyone next you know tune in next week when he looks at him side eye one more time and takes a punch from the other big powerhouse guy so I've been really intrigued by that because it's, you know, Cage is a guy that I think I, I just continue to, I guess I'm coming off a little like Vince, like loving on Stroman, Randy and Cage, but I, it's just a guy who I think is, you know, he's really athletic. He's, he's an interesting character, but they're really taking the time with it. So I think when he finally does turn, you know, he had the respect for Sting, which was kind of, you know, like, a, yeah, you know, he's a wrestler, Sting's an icon, makes sense. You know, why are we hating on him? But then that wasn't the final straw. So I'm really excited to see how they do the face turn and, and what comes of it, because I think it'll be something that when it happens, it'll really feel earned. And I think that's what I've really enjoyed about these, uh, these AEW storylines is that they're willing to kind of let them weave. And, you know, it's like, just because we're not wrestling every week or talking every week doesn't mean that I forgot, you know, X. 
and it's going to come back at some point. And it kind of makes me think of like a good like TV series or like book series where it's like something happens and you kind of forget about it. And then when it comes back, you're instantly like, oh yeah, he betrayed him to so-and-so, you know, two seasons ago. Like that's that's where I'm at with the AEW stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, how that one uh, plays out. Yeah, I'm also impressed too how they can kind of seemingly table certain rivalries um like uh in particular like one that came to mind was uh the Britt baker and thunder rosa which culminated in an amazing like main event you know just on a regular broadcast but you know a very violent very fantastic match overall and then they just kind of like separated the two yeah but they do it in a way where it's like at any given moment it's going to come back so I'm really intrigued to see what direction that's going to go in the near future. Cause I don't, it's clearly, it can't be done. I mean, there's, there was just too much going on with that. So. Um, no, that's, that's a great point that they're, they're leaving meat on the bone. It's like, they didn't feel the need to either have some goofy promo where, you know, they say that it's squashed or to, you know, have one more blow off match. It was just like, Nope, they had a great match. Thunder Rosa won, but it was unsanctioned. So Britt didn't take a loss. And now, yeah, you know, fast forward three months, this could come back, you know, when it matters infinitely more because now the title can be on the line and, you know, you're going to get, you know, Britt's pride versus Thunder Rosa's claim. And yeah, I think it's, it's a really, a really smart way to build in storylines that you can cash in when you want. Yeah, no, I, I recall like one of our earlier podcasts, like I remember kind of reaching a point where I was like Orange Cassidy, like had so much hype behind him and I wasn't really appreciating how he was being utilized. And then all of a sudden now he, he main evented, a, you know, a pay-per-view against Kenny Omega, like, you know, seemingly out of nowhere. But the fact of the matter is they're just that good at kind of tabling guys who you give them enough action to where they're constantly active. And because they, they keep track of their wins and losses, you can always kind so, of use so smart. Yeah. And you can always kind of use that as a way to kind of shoehorn someone in. So, and, and again, I, I can't speak to how brilliant that is during a pandemic where at any given moment, like potentially not so much now, thankfully, but at the time, like there was a real concern where it's like, you may lose a certain superstar, like for a couple of weeks, like in the middle of a huge feud. So how are you going to be able to, to, pivot from there and uh i think that they built a perfect system to to deal with that in the moment so um you know one i i always have to mention them too but the qt marshall and cody <laughs> i just love everything about that feud just because it's so like ridiculous like it's it really should shouldn't be a feud in any way especially when you saw uh, at the weigh-in, like the amount of people tied to Cody still. And this is after you, as you've highlighted numerous times, like seemingly everybody has betrayed him. And he still has about 20 people who come to the ring with him if he needs them. So, Yeah, I'll never forget. One of my favorite promos I heard a while back was it was uh, when AJ Styles and the Good Brothers were beating up John Cena. And AJ was just like naming holidays and what he wanted to do on him. And it was like, valentine's day beat up john cena and that's kind of how i feel about cody it's like what's gonna happen it's like someone's gonna turn on cody he's kind of, yeah it's just he's uh god i'm trying to remember the the name of the guy from you know the clue books 
when I was a kid, there was just like books where they'd have mysteries and everyone, the guy would get killed by someone who had to figure <laughs> it out. It's like Cody's just going to be keep, keep getting found in backstage. And yeah, you know, I guess it's not WWE. Otherwise, at some point we'd have to be Brandy. But I mean, you know, yeah, no, Cody QT. And then I, I loved the the most recent one or maybe it was a couple episodes ago. And like, yeah, the tag team won. And then QD's just like, I beat Cody Rhodes. I did it. Like, <laughs> I do love that QG's claim is like, I'm the best wrestling trainer in the world. Just kind of like, way, way to go with the statement that we can't, you know, really do. It's like, you're not saying you're a better wrestler. You're not saying you're in better shape. It's just like, I train people better than you. It's like, well, you trained a fucking Olympian, man. Like, he just punches people. <laughs> well, I was going to say, too, I, I, there's something like, I think it's incredibly special about the fact, too, that Cody could, you know, because of the way that AEW set up, he could easily be penciling himself in to be just fighting darby and kenny every night if yeah. he so wanted to but instead he's kind of feuding with this kind of lower tier stable of guys that uh, you know or i wouldn't say that they're kind of cast offs but they're it, it would be you know they be, would be if they didn't have cody and i yeah. think that's what that's what makes it good is that you know they may not know what they have with these guys but it's like hey you know here we got cody we got Dustin you know we got a couple other guys in this you know Rhodes family it's like keep working with these guys keep them in the spotlight you know maybe you know maybe like Nick Coronado who you know kind of crazy looking dude like you know maybe he really does start to you know come into his own and you see that on a big stage where people bite onto it and I think you're right that you know using yourself and kind of you know I wouldn't call it an enhancement position but just in a way to be like hey if I'm in a storyline it matters so I can create a feud out of thin air so, you know, don't use a belt for that. Use me. So, no, I think I think that is a great a great kind of use of how you can use Cody to create a feud just because he is he's a face of the company, you know, he's a top-notch in-ring worker. Like Yeah, precisely. Like I I think it's pretty brilliant. And like I said to his credit, QT Marshall is a fantastic wrestler. He's yeah. just a goofy-looking guy who wears bowling <laughs> shirts when he's not active and insists on wrestling and just the speedo which is always funny when he's right on the cusp of achieving that peak ted dibiase beer gut but you know i digress yeah power to him <laughs> oh any other ones that come to mind for you danimal i think i think that's probably probably where i'm at right now i guess i'm still kind of waiting to see what happens with lance archer and jake the snake because they were kind of floating around the sting thing for a while and i don't know but hey you know if if the murder hawk monster and jake want to shuffle to the ring every once in a while i'll, I'll keep tuning right in <laughs> i do love that jake's kind of recapturing some of his mic skills too like yeah there's definitely some times where they poke poke the microphone in his face and it's it's pretty embarrassing but it's as of late, like he's starting to channel, you know, his, his old self. So it's nice. And he's still a fantastic, you know, what he does. I mean, granted, he's a step up from Ralphus now, but you know, he, he's still an icon. And uh, yeah. I think it's perfect for a guy like the murder Hawk who has all the in-ring talent in the world. He's just kind of has a goofy gimmick and he's a much more than a giant man. Who's pretty like nimble. So yeah. he needs something to kind of round him out. And then Jake's perfect for that. So 
Um, yeah, no, I, I think we covered it. We, I thank you so much for the walk down memory lane of some of the we, most. We really got, we really got. To, I, I'm going to be doing some serious YouTube diving. Gonna, gonna be visiting my parents this next couple of days. What are you watching? Oh, nothing. I was gonna say that was the best part about all these these things we described was like sitting on the couch next to my dad and having him just kind of like look at me like uh you, you probably shouldn't be watching this but it's too late now so yeah see for me it was like having the remote with the like recall button set to like nickelodeon <laughs> like what are you watching rugrats <laughs> oh yeah yeah so true so true all right well i think that about covers it for some of our favorite feuds and rivalries from back in the day and current thank you so much for listening this has been the hollywood brunettes wrestling podcast 